Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about increasing protein levels in wheat, but uh, many of the things that we're going to talk about there are going to impact production in other crops as well. So hopefully you find something that's useful there for you. We've also got a number of questions that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag today. I guess as planting gets rolling in different parts of the country and crops are getting up and growing in others, there's a lot of questions, a lot of things going on out in the field. So we're going to get to those a little later in the show. And we've got some great guests lined up today, including the world record wheat grower. Really excited about that. Talking to Eric Watson down in New Zealand, among others. Brian, uh, where do you want to start today? Well, when it comes to increasing protein levels in wheat, super easy. You just have to have more nitrogen available later in the season. That is probably 90% of it. Well, you make it sound so easy, Brian, but some years like last year where areas that don't normally expect to get tons of rain mid-season got it and they put nitrogen on and then, man, they got deluged with rain. That, that makes it a challenge keeping that, that nitrogen available for well, the plants later. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's an unbelievably simple thing that we just need to have more nitrogen available in that plant. But it's complicated by, you mentioned Mother Nature, certainly. But let's also not forget economics because I don't think there's any farmer out there that says, you know, let's just throw a whole bunch of money extra into our nitrogen program just in case. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. So you really got to think through how you're going to apply it, when you're going to apply it. The other side of this is if you have really good soil organic matter levels, you're going to get free nitrogen out of that organic matter. So the higher your organic matter, the more likely you are to have higher protein levels. It's just the way it is because the free nitrogen you get every single year. So yes, um, there, it, it can get complicated, but just focus on that. If you focus on the nitrogen late in the season, then you are going to have higher protein levels. Now, I said that's 90% of it. The other 10% is everything from variety selection to when you you seed to weed control, insects, diseases, what your other fertility program is, your drainage. I, I mean, lots of other stuff. All the same types of things we talk about every day here on the show. We want you to have a an overall great crop. And if you just manage toward that, you will have higher protein levels. But you really got to focus on that nitrogen thing. So that's really all I wanted to get to. Uh, let's go to the Egg PhD mailbag, though, because we do have it's lots of questions. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, we do have a lot of questions, and this one is is kind of interesting. It comes from Gordon up in Michigan. He said, I'm wondering what your current opinion is on whether we can indeed build up soil manganese levels. I've heard you talk in the past that you've applied a fair amount of manganese, but for whatever reason, it hasn't always shown up on subsequent soil tests. I also attended your Neil Kinsey conference this winter, and I believe at that time it was mentioned Kinsey's lab is showing the manganese levels in general are going up. So I was just looking for some clarification and your current opinion on if we can build these levels in our soils. Sure. There are different soil tests that are run out there. And let me just give you a comparison of two, the DTPA test versus the Malik 3 test. With soil manganese, if I apply manganese to the soil, I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to happen instantly, but at some point after I've applied the manganese to the soil, it's going to come available, okay? Whether that's 
three weeks from now or three months from now. It's going to come available at some point. All right. So let's assume that we've passed that stage. If I have applied more manganese than I have removed, then my soil test level should go up. The problem that I have with the DTPA test is with manganese. The higher the soil pH, the less manganese is going to show up in the test. So with the, oh, and conversely, the lower the soil pH, the more manganese shows up in the test. Now, if even when the soil pH is really low, let's say my soil pH was 5, and I still have almost no manganese showing in the DTPA test, that tells me, yeah, there's probably literally no manganese in the soil. If my soil pH is high and it's showing no manganese or very little manganese in the DTPA test, that's telling me one of two things. Either I don't have manganese there or I don't have available manganese there or what we believe is available manganese in the DTPA test. The Malik 3 is going to show it whether the soil pH is high or low. So here's the problem. I don't necessarily know if that, okay, so if I'm in a high pH soil, and let's say the Malik 3 shows me I've got 150 parts per million of manganese, but the DTPA test shows me I have four. Do I only truly have four parts per million available? Do I have 150? Do I have somewhere in between? I don't know that answer today. And we're continuing to do more work on trying to figure that out. But I can promise you, if you put manganese onto the soil, you have more manganese available. Somehow, some way, it's just it might not be much and it might be limited, very limited in some cases, because of the soil pH. So when you talk about, I'm going to build soil test levels, Yep, you can put a bunch of manganese out there and you will have more manganese in the soil. But the question is, is it available or is it not available? And is it going to show up on a test or is it going to show up on the test that you run? Are you running the Malik 3? Are you running the DTPA? So you can see how this is a little bit confusing. And this is the one nutrient where I still don't have a real great answer for you, but I just know that plants need manganese. It's important for emergence. It's important for... Uh, even white mold tolerance. We talk about this all the time too. If you have good soil manganese levels or good manganese levels inside the crop, you have less white mold. So anyway, I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. I get one from Christopher. He said, I'm just curious. Some of us growing soybeans use Roundup, but we wait until the weeds are about eight inches tall and then we hit the field so we can, can get them all under control. Wait till they emerge, basically. Sure. What do you think yeah. of that strategy? Um, well, you're off-label, number one, so the weeds are getting too big. You're more likely to have weed resistance, and you've already cost yourself a whole bunch of yield because the plants in the meantime have been able to rob moisture and nutrients from your crop. Yeah, so our recommendation would, would be use our three pre's in front of the soybeans and then spray early. Do that on part of the field and compare what yield you get on your farm. We're confident you'll get more yield spraying earlier. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. 
For over 35 years, AgriLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. In order to be the best farmer you can be, you've got to have a grain marketing plan. But what do you do when you're too busy out in the fields trying to maximize yield? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are always busy learning more about how to make our farm more successful. That's why we use Grain PhD to learn more about grain marketing and to work with our Grain PhD risk expert to create a complete grain marketing strategy. Visit grainphd.com to learn more about a free consultation for your operation. Talking about increasing protein levels in wheat on today's Ag PhD radio program. We're also taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Let's head to central South Dakota. We've got our friend Lee Lubers with us, one of the best farmers we know, and especially when it comes to wheat, he's killing us in yield. Uh, Lee, uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, no problem. I don't even want to comment about some of your corn and and other crop yields because you're probably beating us there too. But let's just focus on wheat today, and we'll we'll give it to you. You're raising a lot more wheat than we raise on an annual basis. So what are some of the tips you would give uh, to other farmers about increasing protein levels in wheat? Brian says it's so easy, it's just have nitrogen available late. There's got to be more to it than that. Well, a lot of guys, they keep focusing on P. You know, it's phosphorus, 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 and it... And it goes beyond that too. Uh, balance fertility. The over the years, the more we learned how to balance our fertility correctly, <clears throat> we saw all levels come up, including P levels into the plant. And then uh, also, you know, we transitioned into uh, NutriCycle, working with you guys, and that's when we could really see what biologicals could do us do for us also on P because we did some tissue tests. Then you could quantify it. Then you could see it was actually into the plant. All of our levels were higher where we added that component in also. So, and then uh, balanced fertility and then plant health. If you don't take care of disease, if rust is eating you alive, uh, protein is the least of your concerns. <laughs> you've, you've got to, you know, it's a management system. You know, that's we're, we're just big believers in that. You know, the plant health aspect is one. If you've got a healthy plant all the way through, you got a better shot to winning. There's no question there. I want to get back Absolutely. to the biologicals that you brought up. And I think this is one of those things for us on our farm, too. If we've got those microbes out there that are working for our plants 24-7 all through the growing season, it makes sense. We've got a better shot to having late season availability of nutrients when we're trying to add protein to our wheat. Absolutely, yeah. We've seen that firsthand. 
we won't plant seed unless we have a loaded up seed treatment and biologicals in, in the mix. Uh, we've learned that it's a standard operating procedure. It pays every year because we're solubilizing nutrients in the soil that we couldn't get otherwise. We're getting them into the plant. We're increasing uh, levels within the plant. We're helping fight off disease better because we have a healthier plant. A lot of growers talk about variety selection, that this is such a key factor. How, how big a deal is it for you, and how much do you spread your risk by planting a lot of different varieties? Uh, we spread it out a little bit more for maturity. Uh, all the newer varieties, they have to focus on, you know, being respectable in the range for, you know, getting protein levels and baking quality. If they don't, the variety is just not going to take off. So the breeders are doing a better job than they were 15 years ago. So basically we staggered out based on maturity because we don't want everything ready all at once. Uh, so that way, as we're finishing up one variety, then the other one's three to five days behind it, and then one a couple more days behind it. That way we can spread out our harvest and, uh, it just makes a lot better. That way we can maximize our yield. Do you see big differences in terms of protein content based on planting date or seeding rate or any of these other cultural factors? We haven't yet, but the guys from New Zealand really challenged my way of thinking. So we are experimenting with some low rates this year, half rates compared to what we've been doing. And then we're going to monitor that. And then we're going to see what we can see for a difference in yield, quality, anything that we can see. So they challenged my way of thinking last year. So now that's another thing we're testing this year. Yeah, they're definitely doing things a little bit different. We're really hopeful to have uh, Eric Watson on here shortly on the show. And it'll be fun to, to get into some of those details, too. It's about 7 in the morning down in, in New Zealand uh, as as we're doing this show live here in the afternoon in the United States. And so, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to get a, get a good start to the day with Eric, uh, at least from where he's from. Because he's doing, what, half the seeding rate that, that you've historically done in South Dakota? Uh, yes, and that's what that's uh, one interesting thing too in our plots. They're doing the New Zealand style approach to their management, and I'm doing my approach. And the whole focus is is we need to compare. So uh, if I end up playing second fiddle, I'm more than happy out of the deal because I learned something. So so yeah, my my plot actually is almost twice the population that theirs is, and that's how we're going to learn. That's how we're all going to get better. Yeah, it's one of the fun things to see at the Ag PhD Field Day is just some different management styles and and what can we learn from each other? Because I I agree. I, I felt like when we got uh, the growers from New Zealand up here and uh, kind of competing, but but really trying to show what they're doing, we picked up some things. They picked up some things from what we're doing, and and as we do those kinds of efforts, everybody ends up getting better, and and that's a great thing. Absolutely. You know, with uh, with protein levels in wheat, I mean, obviously we want to see some yield too. We don't want to give up a whole bunch of yield, but but protein's pretty darn important. Can you get protein levels high and high yields at the same time? Or are you necessarily going to give up one versus the other? If we're focused on balanced fertility with you know, and well, the seed treatment with chemistry and biology, balanced fertility, and then managing plant health throughout the season. We can, we can achieve both. Uh, we always have good heavy test weights. Uh, every year we get complimented we have the heaviest wheat at the places that we dump. We always have best test weight, best protein, 
and yield goes with it. So it all comes down to the plant health aspect. If you're starving your plant or it's missing something major, you're going to lose in quality and yield. And normally where you farm, Lee, moisture is a challenge, and getting timely rainfall is definitely not a given. Uh, The last year maybe is an exception to that rule, but how do you get high yields even in that dry climate? Is balanced fertility really your key? It's a big component to it. It's just part of the management system. You know, it's everything from getting out, setting your air seeder, you know. My brother and I, we always joke, if you get done seeding at the end of the day and your pants aren't dirty, you're not doing your job. (laughs) You've got to be digging behind your seeder. And uh, there's times, you know, you want to get started at 8 a.m. Well, guess what? You're going to sit there till 10 a.m. in the morning till you're not hairpinning and planning it right. I mean, all those little things are management decisions, and they all add to yield. There's certainly a lot that goes in it, no question about it. And, uh, and Lee, uh, I sure applaud what you and your brother are doing. It's been really fun to, to watch your operation, get to know some of those tips. And uh, for those of you growers that say, man, that name sounds familiar. I know I've heard about Lee before. That's because yeah, you, probably, probably, you probably talked to him at the field day and, uh, and heard Lee, uh, Lee speaking in front of the group and, and taking questions. And I think you've enjoyed it too, haven't you, Lee, just getting to meet guys from all over? Oh, I think I lost Lee there, but uh, yeah, getting getting rolling. It's it's interesting. We're actually putting in some research plots uh, about an hour away from where Lee farms today, so it's kind of fun when we can finally get back out in the field. And and one of the focuses, uh, Brian, is increasing protein levels in wheat and doing everything we can. Lee mentioned balanced fertility, and I think we talk about this quite often getting a complete soil analysis and really addressing everything, not just getting caught up in N, P, or K. Like Lee mentioned, a lot of guys get so caught up in phosphorus and they forget about some of these other nutrients that they need to be managing too. Well, let's take a look at sulfur, for example. When we're applying any nitrogen on our farm, we're thinking about sulfur. We're not always necessarily applying sulfur at the same time, but many times we are. This spring, for example, the cheapest form of nitrogen for our farm is not anhydrous and it's not urea, it's liquid 28%. So we're using a whole bunch of liquid fertilizer and right along with it, we are putting sulfur. If you have adequate sulfur levels in the plant, your nitrogen is more available, it's more efficiently used in the plant and that's a good thing. So you could spend, here, let me let me just give you this analysis. Uh, you could spend, let's say $5 on sulfur or you could spend $8 on nitrogen and probably get the same result. So what would I rather do? I'd rather spend the $5 on sulfur and get that same result on yield. And by the way, when I do that, because I have better balance overall, I have less environmental risk. I have a an overall healthier plant. So if I do run into some problems, let's say I have some wind, lodging, any of this kind of stuff that a normal uh, situation might present, with better balanced fertility, I'm much better able to withstand that, or my crop's better able to withstand that. We'll talk more about wheat and what we can do to impact protein levels coming up right after this. Are you frustrated with white mold showing up year after year in your soybeans? If you have tried fungicide applications and are still losing yield to white mold, now is the time to ask your seed dealer about Heads Up Plant Protectant. Heads Up is the first EPA-registered seed treatment for the prevention of white mold in soybeans and pulse crops. The first line of defense on your farm against white mold now starts with the right seed treatment package. Locate a Heads Up dealer near you by visiting headsupst.com today. 
You know what's convenient? If you're a soybean grower, what's convenient is Zidua Pro Herbicide. That's because you get fast and complete burndown together with up to two weeks longer residual than other herbicides and three sites of action for broad-spectrum weed control plus built-in resistance management. All in one convenient jug. And that turns out to be very inconvenient for pigweed, water hemp, and mare's tail. Contact your local BASF rep today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean field, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Using Enserve Nitrogen Stabilizer with Fall Fertilizer Applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show Enserve delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and Enserve is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about increasing protein levels in wheat. Really pleased to be joined by the world record wheat grower from New Zealand, Eric Watson. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. That's okay. No troubles. All right, we're talking about protein levels, and, and as you're looking at raising the high yields that you're raising, I, I got a chance to, to be on your farm here this well this season, and my goodness, uh, it was really impressive. Uh, how, do you, how do you keep protein levels up while you're pushing yields so far? Um, well, firstly, I mean, protein is not quite such an issue for our feed wheats, but if we're into milling wheats, which we are at some stage, that is a big issue, and nitrogen timing is crucial um, to get that protein level up, and the amount of nitrogen to, to apply um, is also critical for um, the protein level we were trying to aim, because the, um, the price we receive for the grain is based on a protein level. You know, when you think about uh, nitrogen, the form of nitrogen, do you find one one type of nitrogen being a little bit better than another for for sticking around and making that difference late season. 
Um, well, we used to use um, solid urea for our protein levels. Um, applied about growth stage or just at stem elongation was about the, about the optimum timing for nitrate for protein level. Um, but we have gone subsequently gone to liquid, and since I've gone to liquid, I haven't been using, um, haven't been growing feed, uh, milling weed. So, but I think the ultimate timing for liquid is onto the ear, just on ear emergence. I think it seems to help. But I also believe that um, sometimes we used to use ammonium sulfate because that strengthens the protein as well. But uh, we never really got paid for extra strength of protein. You know, one one of the things I found interesting, Eric, is is how many passes that you're going to make over the field. That you're more worried about what's everything going to do for my crop rather than what's going to be easy for me to get it done and not afraid to put in the work. When you think about the nitrogen and, and trying to, to space that out through the season, you got quite a bit of stuff going on. And, and one of the things that surprised me was you said you're not really worried about the nitrogen early season. In fact, you may even stress that wheat just a little bit early, but you want to make sure you had enough there later on. How, how do you determine how much stress that crop can take and how much yellow you you can really tolerate out there. Thanks. Um, sometimes not too much. Sometimes you have to be a bit careful. If it starts to get too yellow, you know you're too late. But depending a wee bit on the, on the number of plants we have and how early we'll come, and it also depends very much on our soil test and what's available in the top 30 centimetres or top 12 inches is, is where we sort of start to judge the timing for nitrogen. But with our liquids, we cannot put a, we cannot apply too much um, at once unless it's raining because we do tend to suffer a wee bit of burning. So we have yeah we have to cover over quite a number of passes to put that on, and uh, yeah, so that's that is a bit of an issue for us. But it also I think it certainly helps crop development and make sure the crop never runs out of nitrogen. Apart from that, perhaps early season if the crop's too thick. Yeah, you definitely don't want to run short, no doubt about it. The other thing that that I know that I picked up just listening to you, uh, not only at our field day, but but uh, when we got to walk some fields with you on your farm, is just how important those trace elements are to, to help nitrogen work efficiently. Are, are there certain ones that you struggle with where you farm in New Zealand? Uh, yeah, we struggle with manganese on our farm because of the soil type and also the pH as we're running. We're not high by some of the world standards. We're only around about six three, six four, and um, that manganese is an issue. Magnesium is another issue for us, um, but it's more to do with related to the temperature of the soil, and so that that's it's not too serious. Although we have applied solid magnesium and a liquid magnesium. Um, Zinc is an early season um, trace element that we can tend to run out of, um, and we do we do apply zinc as a liquid form. But the other interesting run is boron, and I know you guys apply quite a bit of boron, and uh, we've started to use boron as a liquid form um, for cereals, which we never did three or four years ago, and it's certainly where well, we think it helps because boron is essential for flowering. So, and we have used a lot of boron on some of our other crops. So. And I think that trace elements, if your crop's lacking in trace elements, um, certainly it'll limit the nitrogen uptake. I'm quite convinced of that. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. And I, I think as soon as you mentioned boron, I think you perked up Brian a little bit because I don't know anybody, Brian, that's using any more boron than you. Have you seen anybody else, Eric, around the world using more boron than my brother? No, no, I haven't. I was quite staggered by the amount of boron. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Tom. Yeah, but you know, we're in a different <laughs> now, situation. Now you got to remember. Himself. Well, no, but seriously, I mean, we're are, we're very dry. We are really cold. We have six months of winter at least. Uh, and we have heavy soil. So it's it's just a lot different situation than a lot of guys that have to worry about the leaching. I don't. So, you know, I'm a pretty big believer in, hey, we'll try some crazy stuff and see how it pans out. But I just want to get my soil balanced. And we were ridiculously low on boron. Boron isn't that expensive. So I figured, what the heck, let's just throw some dry out there. It'll be there for a while. And it's been pretty good so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can understand your reasoning for that. Um, just going back to the protein thing, um, to get a lift of about 1%, around about 10 tonne a hectare, we were aiming for about 50 to 60 kilograms of nitrogen, and no matter whatever form you applied it. So that was the formula we sort of worked on a few years ago um, to try and lift that protein, 1%. Yeah, interesting. It's 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 fun as we talk, and I know for some growers that aren't used to uh, making those conversions, when you think of 50 to 60 kilograms per hectare, you can run your calculator on that and figure out exactly how that works out per acre. But uh, it, to me, it's it's interesting just thinking about the different systems being used. We had Lee Lubers on earlier, and he, he said he was really intrigued to see what you guys were doing in New Zealand differently than what he was doing and, and how it compared. And he said, I hope they beat me because then I'll have learned something that's going and help me on my farm. Did you notice anything up here with the U.S. growers, Eric, that, that was a little different for you that you thought, oh, that's a system that, that might help me out? Um, not really, but it's just interesting. Um, I mean, you guys using perhaps more trace elements than, than perhaps we've considered, um, especially the boron thing, and, and we really don't know with that. And I think that's, you know, partly reflect on how much you put on. <laughs> and so, um, but, yeah, I think, you know, it's a totally different climate to us. And um, But I also think, you know, as we've said, that your crops are too thick by compared to our standards. But, yeah. You know, you mentioned the thickness, and I, I was really impressed with, with what you're doing to influence tillers. And we talked about... Uh, how you didn't want to have an excessive amount of nitrogen early, and a lot of times uh, that that's done to prevent those uh, secondary tillers that are only about half the length of the plant normally. Uh, how, with the plant growth hormones and, and the nitrogen timing, is that the main piece of keeping your plant short and really influencing exactly how many tillers you want? That's right, yes, yeah, yeah. and those are certainly very much um, part of our strategy because we just don't need too many. Um, and it was interesting this year, one of our crops was quite thick, uh, had a lot of tillers, and it didn't yield as well as the thinner parts of the field. So it just goes to show that, that too many tillers or too many ears, and especially those weak tillers that you talk about, are not doing much good at all. In fact, a lot of them get thrown out the back of the combine because it's just such small grains. and they're taking up nutrients, which um, the main tillers could use. Well, it was fun. Uh, it's fun visiting your farm this year, Eric, and just looking at all right, which varieties are going to yield more than others. And you, you talk about planting at a lower seeding rate, and I know that was something that caught Lee Luber's eye right away. That wow, I can't believe these guys are doing it with the seeding rates they're using. But but when you see how many tillers there are, and just how big these heads were out there, uh, it, it was really impressive. And uh, once again, really really thankful uh, that you're sharing your time with us, Eric. Really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, maybe it's a good way for you to start the day off in New Zealand. I'm not sure. But uh, e anyway, we really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much, Eric. 
that's fine. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Pat. Right. We're talking about increasing protein levels in wheat and also taking your calls and questions throughout today's program. You can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com or find us on Twitter, AgPHD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. The Guardian Air Twin Spray Nozzle from Hypro produces a twin spray pattern with air inducted droplets for superior coverage, even in dense canopies. Be effective and efficient with your spray application this season with the Guardian Air Twin. Hypro, helping you spray better. Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one-pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Managing nitrogen is a challenge, and early season rains can wipe out early applications before peak demand. Proximus by Actigrow works with native microbes and soil microbial cycling to manage nitrogen. Applied at planting and side dress with UAN fertilizer, Proximus is proven to protect nitrogen and increase yield. Ask your egg retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit superchargeyouran.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Digging back into the Ag PhD mailbag, I got an interesting question, or a couple of questions here from Nathan. Now, Nathan's uh, a nutritionist in Ohio, but he's got a quote unquote hobby farm out in Kansas. Sounds like a pretty good sized hobby farm out there, but 
Uh, he's wondering about soybeans a little bit. Uh, he's got just, just a small amount of soybeans that he's going to be putting in, and uh, he's going to no-till it in. He's wondering about the three pre-program and what to use. He said he was all set to use Prowl H2O and Valor, but the herbicide distributor that he's working with there wants him to use Canopy EX instead of Metribuse, and he's wondering what are our thoughts on Canopy EX. Wait, what weeds? doesn't say what the weeds are. Uh, that's what I thought. So here's the problem I've got with Canopy EX. Okay, uh, what it is, it is classic and it is Express. Express is an ALS herbicide or sulfonylurea, but it's in that ALS family, that has no residual. And classic has, if you have high pH, tremendous residual. I mean, so much residual that you can kill your corn the following okay, so year. You've got soil you tests right much. here, Brian. So oh, do, you see, that? do you see some spots? He said he's got... Uh, uh, Got, uh, no, I don't see anything. The highest okay. is six eight, but here's the problem. I don't know how big these areas are. Well, they're about three acres, or I'm sorry, about nine acre grids. He said. Oh, okay. Well, then most likely he's going to be okay with a very small rate of classic, like one third, uh, one third of an ounce. Okay. Well, running with this canopy, I don't know how high a rate he's going to go. He's probably going to go higher than that, and that really, really worries me. Plus. Classic and Express are both ALS herbicides. Why in the okay. world would you well, you spray them anymore? You've got ALS resistant weeds, whether it's Palmer, Water Hemp, Mare's Tail, Kosha. You want me to continue on? Well, I, I, I agree. Canopy EX is probably ALS. not the best choice, but he's got some light soils there. And what is your kind of cutoff, Brian, for Metribuse News? What would you recommend with soils that are what? What were some of those CECs? Three, four, oh, five. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. That that's kind so, of the the concern uh, no, about low, the Metribuse. Yeah, as low as two. So yeah, if you're clear down to a two CEC, then I don't have any real issue if you want to cut the Metribuse into either nothing or just kind of a burn down rate of like a 12th of a pound or a 16th of a pound, something like that. That's not going to hurt anything. But uh, but yeah, if you want to skip it entirely because of that, fine. He said they but, get about 25 inches of, of annual rainfall there. So they're not too far apart from what we get for annual rainfall where we're at. What what do you think about putting a group 15 in in that spot? And no, no, I want to use some later. Why would you do that? You already have prowl in there. That doesn't help you at all. It doesn't broaden the spectrum hardly at all. So no way. I mean, if if I've got really sandy ground like that, and oh, and did we? Did he tell us? Was it enlist or extend? He's going to use extend soybeans. Great. So what I would do is I'd use the prowl and I'd use the uh, valor uh, like he had planned. I'd leave out the metribuzin if he wants to do that. Otherwise, he'd have to run a ridiculously low rate. And instead, just insert a little bit of dicamba. Done. And I'd leave it at that. I've got another mode of action. So yeah, in I, case there's any kind of resistance, right. you aren't stuck with one effective mode of yeah, action but, on it. You've got at least a couple. Yeah, there's no way I'm using uh, Canopy, though. I mean, if it's me. Now, you can do whatever you want to do, obviously. But, I, I mean, you got ALS-resistant weeds most likely. So why throw ALS out there and why take carryover risk with Classic? Because, I mean, you're right at about a 7 pH on some of that ground. So you've got risk. I mean, not huge risk, but you've got risk, especially if you go too high a rate on the Classic. Hey, there was a similar question, Darren, and I you probably have something else queued up. But there was one that I got in this morning. Uh, let's see. It was Eric and here. Let me look at that. It was uh, Basis Blend. So he yep, had a question I've got, about. I've got that one okay. ready to go too. But yeah. let's finish well, this one because I got one more question. Oh, I thought that was it. Oh, okay, no, no, go no. ahead. The other thing is fertility, and he's wondering when when you see the soil tests here. He said he's yep. 
He's picked up some ground, and typically it hasn't been treated the best, but uh, this particular field may be a little bit of an exception. But uh, just wondering what you would do for fertilities. He's highlighted in yellow on the recommendations for soybeans, but uh, just kind of curious what your thoughts are. Okay, here's the thing. His, the heaviest soil he's got for what he sent us here is a 7 for cation exchange capacity. That would be lighter than the lightest soil we have. He's as low as a two for cation exchange capacity. So basically a two is pure sand. He has no organic matter levels higher than 0.6. So he's dealing in pure sand. So if that's the case, that requires almost constant irrigation and it requires continually putting nutrients back out there. So for example, in our geography, potassium is virtually immobile in the soil. For him, when it's pure sand, and he gets more rainfall than we have, plus he's probably going to irrigate some, then potassium is going to move at least to some degree. Also, his cation exchange capacity, when it's down to two, that means the soil doesn't hold much. So just by ratios, we talk all the time about potassium, the base saturation K, we want to see it four to 8%. He's got some as high as 10%. So you say, wow, he's doing great on potassium. But the problem is he's as low as 59 parts per million 80 parts per million, even a high one for him, 149 parts per million, those are all really low. So my point is you've got to look at the base saturation to try to balance your soil, but also you got to make sure you have enough of any nutrient there for the crop. Also, we were talking earlier in the show about boron. Okay, for me, it's hard, it's not very leachable. For him, very leachable. Same thing with sulfur. Obviously, we all know for nitrate in a super sandy soil, it's going to be very leachable. So we got to pay attention to all those things. But just some other things that I would address if I was him. For one, his phosphorus levels are actually fairly decent. You can keep working on that, banding a little bit, that kind of thing. But I say sulfur's low, zinc's low, manganese is low, copper's low, boron's low. So that's where I'm going to be at least investing a few dollars. And again, on the potassium, the base saturation K looks good. But because it's very light soil, there's not much potassium out there. There is risk for loss. So I might be putting a little more on at planting. I'd definitely putting be putting a little more potassium on at side dress. And also in very sandy soils, you got to consider maybe doing a little bit of foliar feeding in addition to side dressing as well. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. And good luck, Nathan. Uh, okay. Got that basis blend question you were talking about, Brian. And this one comes from Eric. He said, what are your thoughts on basis blend pre-emerge in front of conventional corn? I would plan to tank mix it with dual Roundup, Atrazine, and generic Callisto. I have no experience with this herbicide, but uh, I'm working with a grower who wants to use it to help with burn down and add residual in his grass or on his grass. Are there crop safety concerns and what rate of basis blend would you recommend? All right. I'm just going to be blunt. All right. No point in dancing right. around you, this thing. You generally are so I'll blunt, just tell right? you, you. Yeah. I'll just tell you, I don't like hardly any of that, what, what you just mentioned. I don't understand why somebody would use basis blend. And I, I, I'm going to apologize to guys who, for your situation, it works. But I know where this, this farmer and this agronomist are at, and they're not all that far away from me. And for the weeds they have, the weed spectrum, it doesn't make sense. Here's why. Rimsulfuron is, is in this mix. So you've got two different ALS herbicides again in here. 
why? When when you've got ALS-resistant weeds in his area, he's got ALS-resistant kochia, water hemp, and mare's tail, and those are three of the worst weeds he's after. So we're spending money on something that isn't really going to help us accomplish our goal. So it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, unless you just like making the chemical company rich, I don't know why I do that. Instead, I'd use Banvaler Clarity in my burndown uh, for corn. But why don't you plant early enough so you don't even have to burn down? Usually when we plant corn, there are no weeds up. So we just go out there with, in conventional corn, straight, harness, surpass, outlook, dual, zidua, whatever. Also, where this farmer is at and where these uh, this agronomist is, uh, it's very dry. Okay, well, dual requires at least a tiny bit more rainfall to activate compared to harness or surpass. Acetochlor is going to work with less rain. So I'm running in conventional corn always a full rate of a group 15. So if it's me, I'm running a full rate of harness and that's all I'm doing. I'll throw in Roundup or Banvel if necessary, if there are emerged weeds when spraying. Otherwise, I'm going to skip all that other stuff he mentioned. What I'm going to do then is I'm going to go post-emerge. I'm going to run with Callisto. I might even cut the rate back because I worry about carryover in his geography with low rainfall. I'll only run a quarter of a pound of atrazine. Again, worried about the carryover. And I might throw in just a little bit of Clarity or Banville to that, that allows me to keep the Callisto rate down and then I can still get the weed control and I don't have all the carryover risk. There so that's what of, I do. A lot of chemistries out there that are pretty effective on some of these resistant weeds and that's what we're trying to do. Take a big approach to take multiple shots at each weed. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. High yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com.
Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit BattleWeeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir! Imagine the perfect flow of grain from the field to the bin. Imagine a single rotor that ensures both quality and productivity. An advanced system that optimizes harvest settings on the go. You don't have to imagine. With features like AFS Harvest Command, an axial flow combine from Case IH always delivers the perfect flow for your operation. Find out how. Talk to your Case IH dealer today. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, uh, answering some emails here. Also, have our phone lines open if you'd like to call in with a question, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got this one from Mike, and Mike's in Central South Dakota. He said, our land is the worst and our rent is the least. I know there are a ton of unknown costs, but I'm wondering what you think about drip irrigation. Uh, We've... We're, we don't think the well that we could drill here would be sufficient to supply everything that the crop would need, but but wondering if we could get the electricity and get a well out there, do you think we would get a return on our investment? Well, he's got to get much more specific. you got to find out what the actual costs are for each one, and then you can make an informed decision. So if it was me, let's not let's let's be done talking about generalities and let's get real specific and i'd start working with the power company i'd start working uh, with well diggers i would start working with any drip irrigation supplier also any center pivot supplier and let's find out what the actual costs are usually it costs 2 to 4 times as much money to put in drip irrigation as it does to put a center pivot up so you know, that's a big reason why in the northern part of the United States, where we have aquifers that are growing, not shrinking, that most people are running uh, pivots. Now, as you go south or in any area where water is limited, okay, then it makes a lot more sense to run the drip irrigation. Also, it makes sense to run drip irrigation if you have oddly shaped fields. In South Dakota, where it's all wide open spaces and, you know, there aren't a lot of trees, there just isn't a whole lot of anything, then it it, it is a lot easier many times to have center pivot. So, you know, in terms of what it's going to cost, I don't know that. That's where you've got to do the investigation and then you got to start running the numbers. So on my farm, I, I mean, if I was in the exact same boat, I would take a look at, okay, what are all my options? How much yield do I honestly think that I can gain? And let's put it this way. If rainfall is not a limiting factor for you, what is the limiting factor? Well, in your geography, you get plenty of sunlight, you get plenty of heat. So what's holding you back? If you have an adequate water supply, then the only thing holding you back really is fertility and your overall management. So also, let me throw this out there. You're not in an area that typically needs to pattern tile fields. Yes, you absolutely need to tile in spots. But now all of a sudden, if you're going to irrigate a field, you might need to pattern tile it as well. So you might end up investing hmm, between fertility, the pivot, and 
uh, and uh, doing some tiling out there, you might invest $1,500 an acre. And you might go, whoa, that's an awful lot of money. Yeah, it is. But let's do the math. Okay, what, what do I need to gain by that? In 10 years, let's say I wanted to pay it off in 10 years, uh, that's $150 a year. Okay, if I start figuring, all right, $3 corn, that's 50 more bushels. So I've got to gain 50 more bushels plus whatever additional costs I'm going to put out there for the 50 bushels. So I probably have to gain realistically 70 bushels just to break even. Could I do that if today I'm raising 100 Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I I mean, really, you should be, that's, ra- that's you should be able to raise 300 bushels. He should be able to raise 300 bushels. That's what I think is happening there. And what's interesting for uh, for some of the guys in, in a fairly similar area of the country, they are pushing 300 bushel corn when they get irrigation. Now, they've, yep. they've got a little bit more water. So that's the question. Well, of he has to I, have water. If he doesn't have adequate water, then he's got to look at, okay, okay let's, then let's say you have two thirds. Pay? Let's say you have two thirds as much water as you need. The other thing is you that's start looking enough. at what you can do to, to increase your drought tolerance in the crop. That includes, um, you know, using certain biological products, balancing fertility. Uh, maybe it's reducing tillage. I, I mean, there's a lot of things tell me, that can be done. Yep, there are. But you can tell me all those things. And if I can only get two thirds of the water I need today... What's that look like in the future? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, then you're hoping for Mother soon. Nature to give you a little bit of moisture, which in general it no. does. I'm, I'm, I, I, it's going to be really hard for me to pull the trigger if I don't have an adequate water source. Then I've got to look at the drip tape. And it, basically what I'm saying is you're wasting your money if you have center pivot and you're already going to be short on water. Because if I'm going to raise more yield, I need even more water yet. So that, that, that to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Then I'm going to look really hard at that drip system. But again, the drip system is going to cost a lot more money. So now you got to have a lot more yield yet. All right. Well, thanks a lot for the question, Mike. And it sounds like you got a little bit more homework to do there to get, uh, to get the full picture of what the financial decision is going to be. Got two questions from John, both around water hemp. He said, number one, uh, I wonder, has there been any research done on water hemp to potentially use it as a fiber or some other resource? Because it seems to grow very. If there has, very well. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either, John. That anything positive has been found that way. Because you're right, it would be a pretty easy <laughs> crop to grow. Uh, it seems like nothing will kill the stuff once it gets started, and it's a prolific. Seed I'm sure producer. we'd have some problem with it if we actually tried to raise it, though. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> then we find a bug or a disease or something. Uh, okay, and then the other thing he said. Um, it's necessary to apply full labeled rates with all herbicide applications. When less rate is applied, then the plants adjust to that chemistry, and that's how resistance gets Well, wait, wait, maybe. Maybe it is. As long as the weed dies, it's fine. So here, here's where I'll go with that. What actually is the right rate? Okay. If I had absolutely perfect weather conditions, my weed's only two inches tall, I have unbelievably fantastic coverage. Okay, if I do all that, does it require as much rate as if all those things are against me? Uh, No, of course it doesn't require as much rate. So you can't necessarily say, well, if I cut the rate, for sure I'm going to have resistance. Now, I understand on average, yes, I'm much more likely to have resistance, but what we always say is a dead weed can't become a resistant weed. Just make sure every weed dies. That's all you have to do. I make it sound so simple, don't I? Yeah, yeah, it would be. <laughs> yep. All right, thanks, John. We appreciate the feedback. Uh, got one from Kyle, and Kyle said, I, "I'm putting in corn and soybean research plots in and around the Red River Valley in Minnesota and North Dakota. 
all of my plots have to be treated like conventional because various traits are scattered throughout. Now, the last couple of years, we've really struggled with weed control, and we, we need to make some changes to our pre-emerge program to, to do a better job. And you need something for corn and soybeans? Yes. Ooh. Yes. That, okay, know, that's, go ahead. That's a challenge. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Okay. You said our, our plan is to apply a pre immediately after planting before we leave the field. Now, that's also making it tougher. Go ahead. But but I get it. I mean, if you're doing research, you're showing up at the field. You want yeah, to get everything I done and move on. I know. So I, it's yep. probably the best option for you. I, I get that, Kyle. He said, I've got my eye on verdict. But I've heard and read about a possible uh, issue with soybean injury. That's not am possible. I fine if it, I, it, it is soybean injury if you go too high rate. Right. Go ahead. He said, am I fine if I stick with the five-ounce rate? Yes. And do I have to worry if one of my growers wants to rotate to sugar beets if I'm only using five ounces? When we get to the higher rates, uh, carryover is a potential concern for Well, you're not going to have growers. any. Yeah, you're not going to have any carryover. I can promise you that. But. Is it labeled? I don't remember off the top of my head what it says for five ounces of verdict. Okay. Well, the the other question that he's got is, what would be a really solid program for me to use for conventional corn and soybeans that would reduce my risk of injury and so forth? You know, a lot of the time, Kyle, what we're doing is just using straight outlook in plots. Just it's a group fifteen. Hey, I like the be... verdict. Uh, uh, let's. Okay, so verdict is outlook plus sharpen. I'm fine with the verdict, yeah, but that the problem be, that is in you still don't have enough group 15. You don't have a lot there to actually kill anything. It's not our preferred program for soybeans uh, because we want different chemistry. It's not our preferred program for corn because we want higher rates. Right. And, so if and I that's could, the challenge. Once you throw that sharpen in there, what do you think about five ounces of verdict spiked with more outlook? Then you could run the same rate everywhere and well, you get some sharpen out there. Now, granted, where you're at in the Red River Valley, it's all tilled. I, I doubt you're doing a whole lot of no-till plots. But uh, when we think about that, you'd have an ounce of sharpen in there, and you could boost that outlook rate up to what the maximum rate you could use in soybeans yeah, would be. Yeah, you can. I know. It's just that in soybeans, I just don't love the crop safety of having this really high rate of outlook. Having the five ounces of verdict, I'm fine with for corn and for soybeans. What I would do instead is get their really early post and throw some more group 15 on both the corn and beans. But yeah, it's a it's a real tough thing. What I'd rather have you do is split every field you do, then you hit three pre's on oh, the soybean be, side, and then Brian. run ten ounces of verdict on the corn side, and now you got something. Okay, well it's more work, but I would oh, say the, this the for sugar you, beet real quick. The sugar beet thing, it's seven months for yeah. that that rate. Yeah, it, it would it would definitely be more work to split things up, do different treatments on corn and soybeans. But man, if you have a weed escape issue, it really hurts the data in your research plot. So you do definitely have to be careful about that. Hey, thanks for what you're doing, Kyle. We love research data. And thanks for everyone who sent in questions today. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.